Welcome to the Let's See Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the 129th episode of the Let's See Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about crafting the best reach out messages you can during your job search. Why you will want to listen to this episode. Maybe you're struggling with just what to say in your reach out messages. Maybe it gives you anxiety to be met by rejection and you're just not sure how to message people. Well, rest assured, we're going to cover that topic in detail. Today, I brought on Lisa Lewis, CEO of Career Clarity. According to her bio, Lisa is an internationally recognized career change expert who has successfully coached more than 500 people through work transitions in 10 plus countries. She has been featured in the Washington Post, Forbes, Fast Company, Business Insider, and US News and World Report as a trusted thought leader on creating a fulfilling career path. And I actually met Lisa when uh, we did a Find Work That Matters panel together at General Assembly in Denver. So in case you were keeping count, this guest was found through in-person networking, and we actually used LinkedIn as the follow-up to get this podcast going. So as you can see, Lisa is just going to be awesome. And this episode is really going to help you if you're struggling with connecting with people online. So let's launch right into it with our 129th episode of the Career Warrior Podcast. All right, Lisa, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty well, all things considered, Chris. It is a weird world we are finding ourselves in today, that's for sure. It definitely is here. It's currently April 1st. We're going through the health crisis here in all over the world, if you're listening to this in the future, but um, we're all adapting here and we're all going to make it. That is the positive attitude we bring today. So Lisa, I wanted to hear about your specific story about uh, when you made the pivot to career coaching in 2015. I think you just had a really unique and awesome story, but if you can share that, that would be great. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Like any other career coach out there, I didn't really start out knowing that I wanted to be a career coach. I started out my career in digital marketing, and I started out almost like a manic Goldilocks, if you will. (laughs) The first move in my career, I was at a nonprofit because I really wanted to be heart-centered, and I wanted to be working on a mission that really spoke to me. I was young, I was ambitious, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. So I moved to Washington, D.C. right after graduation and started up a job at a nonprofit and was there for a little while and started to realize that nonprofits weren't necessarily going to be the right fit for me. They are wonderful places for a lot of people, but I was finding that the lack of resources and the lack of opportunities to grow with the specific organization where I landed weren't really conducive to giving me the kind of fulfilling, juicy, life-giving career that I was looking for. Right. So I made a move over to do uh, corporate communications consulting, so swinging the pendulum wildly in the other direction, and worked there for a number of years and really loved the pace, really loved the growth. But it sort of felt like I was a professional mercenary, that I was a hired gun, whoever needed help at that exact moment, whether or not I agreed with them or their mission or their company values, I was assigned to work on. And so that didn't feel quite right either. It's like the first bowl of porridge was too hot. The first bowl, or rather the first bowl was probably too cold. The second bowl was too hot. And I kept trying to (laughs) figure out how to find the right way. So I kept trying to figure out how do I find the right fit for me? And so I thought to myself, maybe this will be the right thing. There is an education tech startup So it gets me some of the fast pace that I'm looking for, but it gets me the mission alignment that I want. 
And so I moved over to that organization to do digital marketing work for them. And I showed up there thinking this was going to be perfect on paper. And what I came to realize after I was there was that the, you know, the compensation and the lifestyle pieces were all pretty good. The work-life balance is pretty good. The mission alignment and the values alignment were pretty good. But then I was discovering that there were these other layers to career fulfillment that weren't being met. And particularly at that organization, there was a big mismatch in terms of personality and culture fit. I really felt like I was in a position where the way that I believe people should be treated isn't exactly how the organization was treating people. And so I kept wondering, why is it so hard to find work that feels like a really good holistic fit for people? And I threw myself down this research rabbit hole because I looked at all of my peers, Chris, and like every one of them looked like they were a little bit dead in the eyes. You know, everybody looked like if this is is what being an adult and being in the workforce is supposed to be, we have been sold a raw deal here. Yeah. And so I kept thinking there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a different way. And so I went down the podcast listening rabbit hole and the reading books and doing personal development courses and programs and certifications and sort of accidentally became a career change expert in the process of trying to solve this question for myself. And so there was a day when I thought to myself, well, I'm certainly not happy with doing what I'm doing right now. What if I put out a shingle as a career coach just to see if anybody would pay me for this stuff that I've spent the last couple of years learning and understanding and digesting? And at first I had one client and then I had two clients. And then I got to the point where I was actually creating a pretty legitimate side hustle on the side of my nine to five or nine to six, as it were, digital marketing work. And so I started thinking, okay, how do I take this thing that I'm doing on the side that's really joyful and start to turn it into a little bit more of my life? And I was in a really unique position, which I imagine a lot of listeners may if they have the moment to take a step back and look at the bigger picture of what's going on at their organization, they may be able to find a similar situation for themselves. But I found that I, working at an education tech company, potentially had an opportunity to do an internal transition to do more career-focused guidance and support work within my company without having to quit on my own and become a career coach, you know, the minute that that idea popped into my head. And so I did some creative sleuthing and networking and outreach within the organization and actually had a job created for me to be a senior career services specialist within the organization to help us support the clients who were working with our startup. Wow, that is awesome. That's fantastic. It's And I love bringing up the stories, especially from people who are in the career world just because I find that there are often so many parallels between us and the job seekers themselves. So I just think it's really cool that you were able to find that pivot without necessarily quitting your job. And um, I think really sometimes it takes a little bit of creativity. Sometimes there are those special transitions that happen. So thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah, 100%. And just to be clear for anybody who's listening, I did indeed end up quitting that job and starting my own career coaching practice and have been out on my own full time as an entrepreneur for coming up on four years here. But 
One of the biggest things that I teach people who I work with on my side of the house is that if you're interested in making a career transition of your own, usually the easiest way to start generating some momentum towards that is to find ways you can do miniature pivots within your current organization. Agreed. Where they already know you, they already love you, yeah. they're already paying you a salary. So getting an opportunity to expand and grow within your current organization is in your interest and it's in their interest too, because now you're going to be creating more value and you're not leaving yet. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing. I want to pivot over to reach out messages, which I think is such an important concept for job seekers. Before we launch into what the ideal reach out message looks like, um, do you have an overall strategy for sending out those messages? Really, when should we be sending these messages? Mm. So if you are interested in leaving your organization and going into a new organization, the sooner you can start developing the strategic relationships that you're going to need to make that happen, the better off you are going to be. Okay. Right? They always say that the best time to have friends is not when you need friends. So you should be starting to make those friendships and those relationships before your current job situation is a five alarm fire or before you're laid off. Now, given there are going to be lots of people listening to this who say, okay, great, I'm not in that situation. Things are already at the five alarm fire stage and I need a way to do this outreach <laughs> now. Yep. And for those of you who are in that situation, I would say, all right, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. So yeah. it is great to seize the momentum and the moment today to start trying to reach out and build relationships and connections yeah. as soon as you can. Right. And the context of those messages is not, I need a job. It's more like, it's more long-term. Like I'm trying to build professional connections to further your career. That's, that's more the context of what we're going with, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, what I have seen and what my clients have seen as they have done this and tested this for themselves is that the, the old adage of if you ask for money, you get advice. And if you ask for advice, you get money <laughs> tends that. to hold true. Yep. <laughs> Meaning that if you reach out to somebody saying like, hey, I am uh, looking for a job. Yeah. Most of the time, the only thing that somebody can respond to you with on that is like, well, good luck. <laughs> Because most it's of the too, time, it's the person too much you're pressure to, if you haven't if you haven't met someone, you know, for for that time. I just think it's like I, I admire the direct approach. I think it takes a lot of vulnerability, but I think also it's in, in many cases it's just like these people don't know who you are, and it's it's a little bit tough to make a big commitment that early in the in the game. Totally. Well, yeah. and a lot of times the person who you're speaking to may or may not have hiring authority or right. budget authority. They may or may not know the person that you need. But it's like if you were to go on a first date and propose on the first date, you're you're presupposing a lot of things about that <laughs> other person if you're proposing and they would have to assume and take a lot of things about you on faith to even consider saying yes to that on the first date. Right, right. So your first outreach attempt or message really should be a way to start to develop a relationship and get them to like you, to know a little bit more about who you are. And to be willing to stick their neck out for you and vouch for you in some way. And it may not be, you know, sending your resume along to a hiring manager yet. It may just be giving you some advice or telling you a place to look for openings or talking to you about a skill gap that you might have. Great. And last question before we get into the reach out message itself is, do you have a preferred platform for reaching out to companies and decision makers? Are you a, a LinkedIn gal or more of email? I am more of an email person. Yeah. And here's why. When you send somebody an email, email is something that people look at every single day. Even if you don't do an office job that is in front of a computer, 
you are typically professionally required to be looking at and responding to email messages every single day. So if you can put yourself into a place that somebody is going to be looking every single day, it's going to be a lot harder to miss you and a lot easier to make it simple for them to respond to you. And what I'll also say on email too is that one of the best things that you can do on these outreach messages to increase your probability of success is to have them be an introduction to somebody, right? So sending a cold email or a cold LinkedIn message will work sometimes, but if you can get somebody that you know to make an introduction for you, then that is going to have a way higher likelihood of the person responding, the person setting up a phone call or an in-person meeting one day when the world will allow us to do in-person meetings again (laughs) and allow for you to actually achieve your goal. So I think there is definitely a way to be more successful on LinkedIn, just like there are ways to be more successful with your emails. So you want to be using the best strategies no matter what platform you're on. But if it's just a question of which of the two platforms is more likely to get you the response and get you what you need, email is going to be the way to go. It's got to be email. And Chris, I know in the introduction, you were mentioning that you and I had been connecting via LinkedIn, but we ended up moving things over to email for scheduling purposes yeah. because that was just more convenient and faster for us to be able to make that connection and get across the finish line for what we needed. Sure. And, and a point that Lisa and I were making, y'all, before this call was um, sometimes LinkedIn is not the best platform still when it comes to messaging. So my inbox is is just flooded with a lot of LinkedIn messages right now, not because I hate not being proactive and on top of my LinkedIn messages, but just because I'm I'm more likely to actually clean out my inbox on email because it's a part of my job as Lisa said earlier. So, um I'm a I'm a big proponent, you know, of of using both. I just think if you can get the email address, I just really agree with Lisa's point. So why not use both? Why not use both in your job search? If you can find a way to get someone's email through LinkedIn, that's always an option too. I even put my email on my LinkedIn uh, summary. So Awesome. And Chris, one more thing I'll add too is that when you're yeah. sending somebody a LinkedIn message, the people who are on LinkedIn more often are usually the people who are job hunting. Mm. If you're pretty happy with your own job and your own organization and your position, you're probably not on LinkedIn every single day. You might be on LinkedIn once a week, sure. once every two weeks, once a month. So for you as a, a seeker who wants an introduction and you want somebody to help you out, if you're reaching out to people on a platform they're just not going to be on as often, then if they like their jobs, then it's a it's a tricky paradox, right? You might be able to get some responsiveness from people on LinkedIn, but it may not be from people who actually enjoy what they're doing. They may, may be on LinkedIn for the same reason that you are. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'm uh, really glad you brought it up. And, you know, why not use it as as research to find out more about that person that you're going to be emailing? I'm not saying the word stock. That's not what I'm saying here, but you can always do research. I mean, how did I find out more about you, Lisa, is by looking at your profile and what you've done before in the past. So I think I love LinkedIn in that regard. Totally. Well, and I think to your point that there's a need to use both, right? If you were just emailing somebody a cold message out of the blue without actually knowing any additional context about who they are, what they've done in the past, what makes them special and different, your email is going to fall flat too. Mm -hmm. So there's an interesting sort of dance and interplay between the two platforms to get the results that you're looking for of that response, that opportunity to have a a virtual coffee you know that opportunity to be introduced to somebody else yes and so that's that's a perfect segue so let's get some people hired here Um, what does a good reach out message look like 
let's say I actually am looking for a job and I'm trying to meet the right people that can put me in that direction. What does a good reach out message look like? So the two principles that I think are the most important in a good outreach message are number one, be brief. The longer your message is and the more asks you have in it, the less likely somebody is going to be able to respond because you need to make it easy for them to say yes and easy for them to give you what you need. So be brief. Principle number two, be brilliant, meaning be memorable. So there are people reaching out to the same people that you want to contact every single day. They're reaching out via LinkedIn messages and they're reaching out via emails. And you need to be brilliant and differentiate yourself and be remarkable so that when somebody receives that outreach message from you in whatever inbox it's in, that they feel like they are the only person on the planet who could answer the question that you have because you've taken the time to craft such a thoughtful message for them that they can see you did your homework, you care, and you're worth their time to invest in. Okay, just pause for one second because that that's the most brilliant thing I've heard all week. Could you say that again one more time about the only person in the world, that part again? The goal is to make it so that when somebody receives a message from you, they think to themselves, oh my gosh, wow, I can't believe this person reached out to me. I can be such a value to this person. Let me follow up and set up some time. Yeah. Let me follow up and send them an answer to their question. Yeah. If you can make them feel like they are the only person in the world who can answer your question, it is way less likely that they are just going to archive your message or put it at the bottom of their to-do list. They're going to feel a real connection to you, your mission, your purpose, and want to support you. That is so key. That is, it, If it's one mistake that I think that people are making in those reach out messages, and I've, I've received a lot of them um, even over the last year or so. It's it's it goes exactly against that. It's like they're very generic messages that make me feel like, you know, anyone can answer really this question. And it's it's something that I don't feel a motivation or call to respond to. Um, and that's not because I don't want to respond. I wish, you know, I, I really wish I could go back and help every single person that has reached out to me. Um, but a lot of times it's a matter of my time and what I'm able to actually put out there. And um the people you are reaching out to most likely are very, very busy people who are, like you said, also are high in demand and, and just getting a lot of those messages already. So I, I think what you said is is the perfect antidote. You know, I think it may take some practice and some work on, you know, getting that message refined and or getting good at sending out these messages. But um, I think you really hit it on the head. And that was really an epiphany for me when you shared it with me for the first time. Oh, Thank that's you. awesome, Chris. I know there might be some people listening who are thinking to themselves like, okay, that sounds great in concept and in theory, but how do I actually do that? Right, like how? Um, yeah. Yeah, so let me do, I'll just like spitball here, two different outreach messages that you, Chris, could receive from somebody. So here's here's message number one. Dear Chris, hello, my name is Lisa and I am interested in starting a podcast. I noticed you have a podcast. What tips would you give somebody about how to start a podcast? What is the best equipment for me to use? Are there any things that you wish that you had known when you first started that now you know and would share with somebody else? Let me know if you would be available for an hour-long Skype call to discuss. Sincerely, Lisa. This is message number one. Okay. It shows a very basic, basic level of knowledge about who you are right? You have a podcast. 
That's the only thing I'm telling you that I have figured out about you in research. Yeah. Then I'm making a big ask of you. What are all the things you wish you had known? What materials do you use? And these are all what I call 100 level questions. These are all questions that any person could answer via Google for themselves. Oh, good point. Good point. So if you are asking somebody whose time is valuable and whose expertise and advice are valuable about these 100 level questions that you could have just Googled, you're not going to get a response. And then third thing that happened is that I asked you for an hour of your time, which is an aggressive (laughs) amount of time, given that we don't know each other. Yeah. And then the fourth thing that that happened, and by happened, I mean it didn't happen, is that I shared with you nothing about myself. So there is no connection between the two of us in that message. So that's the sort of thing that if it doesn't already land in your spam folder, you probably would be interested in putting into your spam folder because you don't have time for that. You don't know who I am. You have no reason to help me in particular. And... You know, it's just, it's not yeah. worth your time. You're too busy. Yeah. And, and it's funny. You said like that, that message, I think is a really good example. It, it almost got me because I, I'm very excited to talk about talk shop about podcasts. It's like my dream job. However, I don't think I would have answered based on all the things that you've outlined, all things, all the things that you've said, what would you have said to this person for them to edit their message in order to get a response? Totally. So here's, here's version number two. Version number two is, hey, Chris, my name's Lisa, and I'm a longtime fan and listener to the Career Warrior podcast. I love the energy and the style that you bring, and I really appreciate that you make everything so tactical and practical for job seekers like me. I'm in a period of transition right now when I'm wanting to make a shift from doing digital marketing into being a product manager. And one of the ways that I want to help solidify my expertise is by starting a podcast. Mm. I've read a bunch of articles on podcasting and I've bought some initial equipment, but one of the biggest things that I'm concerned about is making sure that people, the right people listen to this podcast to hear my expertise. You've done such a great job with this on your own podcast. Do you have 15 minutes for a Zoom call to talk about your best tips for how to make sure that the right people are listening to the message that you're spreading online? Let me know if so, happy to work with your schedule. And if not, I'd be happy to send you over a couple questions via email so that you could answer them that way. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate everything that you're doing in the world and really believe that you are doing incredible work, both with your company and with your podcast. Ugh. Sincerely, Lisa. Got me. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. still brief, right? Yeah. Like if we were to transcribe what I just said, that's maybe yeah. three paragraphs. Yeah maybe seven or eight sentences, really no more than that. But what I showed you in that message is I have done my research. I know who you are. I know what you do. I admire and appreciate these things about you and what you're doing in the world. And here's the connection. Here's how we are alike. Here's where I am in my own journey. Here's how I'm being inspired by you. And here's how you in particular could be helpful to me in ways that almost nobody else could. Yeah. And and you you brought up a compliment in that message. Do you think compliments are something that can be effective when you are crafting that that, uh, reach out message? Compliments can be totally effective when they are sincere. If you are blowing smoke up somebody's butt, they know it, right? (laughs) We all have very well calibrated BS detectors and we know when somebody is just brown nosing and trying to just get on our good side. But if you can say something that is coming from a genuine, authentic place that shows that you've done your research about that person, it'll go over really, really well. 
Yeah. I the the other thing I really like about that message is you gave me the option to I mean let's say Zoom really was a huge inconvenience for me. Um you did give me the option to respond, you know, via email back, you know, those questions which I think it was great. It's it's showing that, you know, they're they're being accommodating. And once again, I don't want listeners to think that I'm this person that doesn't want to help other people. You know, that's not the case. I think if you can come up with a really good enticing message to show someone that, you know, it's it's going to be worth their time because, you know, to them you're just this person who approached them online, you know, there's there's not really a face or a connection or anything like that just yet. But I think if you could do that by crafting a message, by sharing your story and and sharing the specific reason why they're the people that you want to contact, I think you're more likely to get a response. Totally. Well, and Chris, you're probably like the nicest among us, right? <laughs> like you are probably more likely to respond to a a mediocre to good outreach message than your average bear. True. Right? Your <laughs> listeners here are wanting to get hired at prestigious organizations. Yeah. They want to get hired for competitive jobs. And particularly in the economic landscape we are finding ourselves in right now, you cannot afford to be lazy. You cannot afford to be generic yeah. in sending these sorts of messages to people because they are getting inundated with them every single day. And you've got to find a way to take that extra five minutes to do that extra research, to add that extra polish to your message to make it really easy for them to say yes and to help support you. Great. Fantastic. So I'm not just copying and pasting the same message over and over again to different people and hoping it works. Call that spray and pray. So <laughs> the spray and pray approach um, <laughs> can work sometimes, right? Like Wayne Gretzky says, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't you take. Don't take. <laughs> but if we're thinking about the return on investment of your time, yeah. right, you might be able to spray and pray three messages in 10 minutes if you are just copying and pasting, mm -hmm. whereas you might only be able to do one message in 10 minutes if you're doing this kind of a tailored approach. But your response rate is probably going to be closer to 30 to 50% with these tailored messages, even if they're cold and there's no email introduction. Whereas what I've seen with people who are doing cold messages that are just spray and pray is that on email, you'll usually see a 10% response rate on cold spray and pray generic. And on LinkedIn, you see a 5% mm. response rate. So mm -hmm. tailoring your message, no matter what platform it's on, is going to be a really good thing for you to do. But again, that difference in response yeah. rates and that double efficacy number that I've seen in measurement from when we've actually run these experimental trials with my clients is just another reason to take the extra minute or two to do the creative Googling, to find somebody's email address so you can reach out to them in the place they're already going to be. Yeah, love that. And thanks also for bringing up more realistic numbers. I think I think people need to be OK with not getting responses right? Because one mistake that I made, and I still make this, I have to remind myself not to, is like when I don't receive a response is not to take it personally. It's not like a, a, a stone cold rejection on your part. It's just like, these are realistic numbers that you should be expecting. You can't get a response from everyone. Well, and two points to say on that. Number one, if you're emailing somebody and they're really important and you really, really do want to get an email back, sending a follow-up email or two is a totally valid strategy to use. You reply to your original message so it bumps it up in their email chain. But being unafraid to do some follow-up if that person's important is real, real important. But thing number two is that if you're noticing that you're doing these warm emails or these these more tailored email, tailored emails rather, and you're not getting at least a 30% response rate, so one in three people is emailing you back, 
there's probably more and different you should be doing within the context of that message right. to get the response rate you're looking for. So I almost think about this like you put your engineer hat on, right? Or your scientist hat on. And if you're not seeing the yield from your inputs that you would expect, you have the opportunity to make some tweaks and try some new experiments in your process to see if you can get your response rate up to where you want it to be. Right. So not doing or expecting 100% response rate is not a realistic thing mm -hmm. and you're just setting your, yourself up for disappointment, but getting a lower response rate and not tracking your results and then recalibrating as you go to get better results is another way you might be accidentally shooting yourself in the foot. Right. So you need to be doing a certain number of outreach points to be able to have the data back to see how you're doing. So getting to a certain number is important, but we got to make sure they're quality within that. Thank you for bringing that up. And also, we're going to circle back to follow-up messages, which is something that you brought up there in a second. But I wanted to have fun here. I had a couple of reach-out messages. These actually were sent to me on LinkedIn. Um, I just want to get your opinion on both of them and, um, and uh, what you would do to change them, if you would. Awesome. It says, dear madam, but I just changed that right now because I'm sending it to you. <laughs> but... <laughs> Dear Madam, first of all, please forgive me for sending you a message on LinkedIn. However, I know it is not easy to get a job in USA, but I believe if you consider my case sympathetically, I have three years sales management as a diploma holder with almost 16 years experience in gaming industry and presently working as a sales manager here in Canada. And my background is gaming and I want to relocate in USA. Is my urge to you if you consider my case sympathetically as an outlet manager slash restaurant manager position, and I can highly oblige to you for this reason. I've sent my profile on your LinkedIn. Please check your message and attachments along with your email address and do consider my case sympathetically and give me a chance. I promise you will never regret the decision to appoint me in your organization. Okay, what does this message say to you, Lisa? Oh, woof. Well, first of all, you can feel the desperation oozing out of this email, right? You oh, can yeah. feel that this person does not actually actually believe they are qualified. Yeah. You can tell this person I got that feels too. like you are taking a shot in the dark on them. And if you don't think you have any qualifications and you're desperate and you want somebody to take pity on you to hire you, you shouldn't be looking at that job. That's a bad fit job for you. Agreed. So asking somebody to help you out of pity and sympathy is not going to be a good way to get them excited about you. It's not going to be a good way for them to generate excitement and positivity and motivation and create a story about who you are as a candidate that they want to tell the hiring manager or they want to tell the head of HR. So beyond the typos and what sounds like English is not the first language for this person, I think that the biggest issue is that this person sounds like they don't think their own skills are valuable, followed by they're not actually interested in making a connection with sure. you. Sure, sure. They aren't at any point saying, hey, Chris, or hey, madam, um, you know, <laughs> it's so cool to see that you have a restaurant manager position open. I love eating in restaurants. You know, even if they didn't have any restaurant experience, they made no no subject matter connection and no person-to-person -person connection right. with you about why they're reaching out to you. Right. Having experience in the gaming industry and wanting to be a restaurant manager is a total non sequitur. Right. And it was it was really tough to receive this message because you could tell that this person really needed help, but also at the same time I 
genuinely felt like I could not even help them, like not even close because I mean, there was, there was no real connection to anything I was doing, or there was no ask about some specific advice I could have given this person. Um, and instead it, it kind of was a, a call to action for me to somehow give them a job, which I, I, I genuinely feel like I could not do it all anyway. So thank you for bringing up the point about desperation, which I think is something that people often forget. And in many cases, yes, we are, we are desperate and we may not be in a good place, you know, emotionally or, or job seeker wise. So I don't want to go on a completely separate podcast episode, but it was, the, is there anything you would say in order to address maybe someone's confidence level or um, just in general, their emotions? I think the number one thing is don't make the person that you're reaching out to responsible for being your therapist. Mm. Don't make them responsible for how you feel about things. When you reach out to somebody and you want them to help you, the easiest way to get somebody to help you is to get them excited and bought in about who you are and what you're trying to do. It's so much less likely that somebody is going to help you and support you if you sound downtrodden. Yeah. So even if you're feeling downtrodden, writing a message that feels positive and yes. forward-looking and based on connection and opportunity is going to get you so, so much farther. So if you're feeling like you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I am in a really downtrodden, scared state right now, find somebody that you love and trust who is a decently good copy editor, write your message, and then have them read it and ask, is there any little hint of desperation coming through here? Does this feel positive and exciting? And would you respond to this if you had received this sort of a message? Because just getting another pair of eyeballs on something can help to give you little course correction feedback that could be super valuable. And Chris, I bet you and your team do this here all the time for folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just looking at what the messages people are saying and revising it. And this is why I love you, Lisa. That's such practical advice that I think people really need to hear. So thank you for that. Fantastic. Totally. All right, got one more for you. <clears throat> Hi, Chris. Happy birthday. I can see that both you and I went to hospitality school in New York. I'd love to pick your brain sometime. Let me know if you're free for coffee or lunch sometime this month or next. Question mark. Best, Brian. What do you like about this uh, message? What do you not like? Well, this person started out from a solid opening, right? Noting it's your birthday today. It was my birthday. It's, <laughs> it's a great way to create connection. Yeah. Um, and while I don't love the phrasing on it, noticing like, hey, we went to the same hospitality school in New York is another great way to create that connection and camaraderie. Um, but then the message takes a turn. It is brief, to be fair, right? This is maybe three or four sentences. Sentences, yeah. But so you've created this connection, right? Happy birthday. I can see we both went to the same hospitality school. Now there's a critically missing segue of why the heck you are sending me this message right now. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's so true. I was trying to figure out why. But that's yeah. Totally. It's like, do you just want to talk to me because it's my birthday? Because yeah. I went to hospitality school. I don't currently work in hospitality. Do you want to work in hospitality? Do you want to get out of hospitality? Do you want us to do your resume for you? What's going on? <laughs> so there's no connection made of why this person was reaching out to you in this moment and what they needed from you. Instead, they went straight to, uh, I'd love to pick your brain sometime. And without specifics on what they want to learn from you, using the phrase, pick your brain, is like the kiss of death, right? Even if they had said, 
I noticed that you pivoted out of hospitality and I want to make a transition out of hospitality too and would even love to run my own business. And I noticed you're running your own business now. And I'd love to know how you're using some of the tools from our hospitality school to do that. Could I pick your brain about that? Then we might be in business, right? Because you're talking about why you, Chris, are the only person who could answer this question because you went to the same school, you're doing something cool that he wants to be doing, and he wants to know if you're using the tools from your shared past experience to help move forward. Yes. But but that is not in there. It's just, I'd love to pick your brain. Right. And then it goes to, let me know if you're free for coffee or lunch sometime this month or next. So it's super wide open, super vague, and it doesn't really give you anything to sink your teeth into or get excited about. If they said, you know, let me know if you're free for a 30-minute virtual coffee sometime in the next two weeks, then it's getting a little bit more specific and clear and easy for you to respond to. But are you available for coffee and lunch in the next two months? I don't even... Yes, probably. (laughs) But are you willing to meet with somebody who hasn't made their needs from you and their requests from you clear enough to be worth the time that you'd be giving them? Uh, it's, It's a little dicey for sure. Yeah. So there are some pieces of this that folks who are listening can definitely press save on and think about how they could do for themselves. But the ask of what you want from this person is not brief or brilliant. So remember to come back to those principles. How do I make it so that Chris or whoever is receiving this feels like they're the only person in the world who can help me so they get really excited about doing so? Lisa, you've done a really great job during these last three examples, really explaining your your methodology and why, you know, brief and brilliant. I think that's it really comes down to that core message. Um, so so thank you for that. And I encourage every listener who's really hung up on this, this uh, sending out messages thing is to go back and repeat, I would say, these last 15 minutes and just to really solidify it in your brain about how to send a good message and in practice, let let some of your messages be bad initially and send it out to a trusted friend to get their feedback too before you send out that message. You know, don't be discouraged by listening to some of these messages, um, but just try to learn from it. And like Lisa said, just make this a learning process. So Lisa, one more question before um, we hear about your business and get your closing thoughts as well. Um, but I want to talk about the follow-up message, which I think is a really core concept Let's say that I don't get a response from an initial message that I send out. Um, let's say this is a company I genuinely care about or someone I feel like I do have a connection with. Do you recommend follow-up messages? And, and if so, how? I guess how much later should I wait until I send that message out? Mm, great question on timing because I think that's really what catches people up. I think most people are willing to send at least a first follow-up message, but then they feel nervous of, Am I going to be bothering them? They probably are really busy. <laughs> yeah. They start telling themselves all these stories and talk themselves out of it. I know I do. So you you should for sure follow up with people on the same medium that you contacted them for at least the first time and respond to the same message that you had already sent. And you can even redeem yourself if you sent a sort of mediocre first outreach message that is totally forgettable and it's completely understandable somebody wouldn't have responded to. In the follow-up message, you keep it super, super brief, four sentences or fewer. And you say, hey, again, so-and-so, uh, wanted to you know, bump this back up in your inbox in case you'd missed it in you know, the busyness that's going on or, or some sort of like introduction, some sort of segue like that to say, I would so appreciate your specific perspective on blank, comma, so let me know if you'd be open to that or if it would be easier 
give them an even easier way to answer you. And that could be, or if it would be even easier, I can send over a couple questions via email. Or if it would be even easier, I'd be happy to talk to anybody else on your team who might be better fit to answer this question. Or if it's even easier, I can we can right. schedule a phone call instead of a lunch. Right. You know, yeah. give them a way to make it even simpler for them to say yes to you in that follow-up message. And go ahead and send it and it'll bump back up in their inbox. They'll see it. And um, so Richard Cialdini, this psychologist, wrote this book called Influence and has all these different principles in it of what makes people influential and what makes it easy to persuade people and get them on your team and get them excited about you. And one of the principles that he talks about is the principle of reciprocity, which is that we feel sort of guilty if somebody else has taken too much forward momentum and we have not also contributed some to making something happen. Yeah. So, and you probably know this, each of you listening from your own inbox, like when somebody bumps something up and replies and says, hey, just in case you missed this, or hey, wanted to follow up on this, you probably have that immediate guilt of like, oh, crap, (laughs) this is totally the second time they're reaching out. They are serious. They do need my help from this. And I feel bad I didn't respond the first time. Yeah. So totally take advantage of that that for yourself if you need a response. And and how long did you you say that already? I didn't say that already. I would say, um, I would say wait at least three days. I think following up any sooner than that, especially if say you get an out of office, that they're out on vacation or something like that, yeah. is just going to make you potentially a pest. But I would say follow up your first time at least three days later, probably four or five ideally. But then I would say if they haven't responded to that, you can get creative and follow up one more time via email. Or then try switching and getting them on LinkedIn. Yeah. Or then try switching and seeing if you can follow them on Twitter or if they have a, you know, some other social media profile where you might be able to reach out to them directly. Yeah. Instagram, anything like that. Like get creative with ways to get in front of them that might help make your message or help make it more likely that your message gets the response that you want. Yeah. I, I think listeners, if you've heard us, if you've, you've heard me ask the follow-up question or heard my own opinion on it, yes, send the follow-up. Don't be afraid. You're not going to be a pest if you, A, if you just wait a little bit of, you know, wait a little bit longer, you know, oftentimes people are just busy and they just may have missed you in their inbox um, to not be afraid to do that. You know, especially in this world where, you know, you feel like you're, you're competing to get people's attention. There's sometimes things you need to do in order to be a little bit more assertive than usual and actually get their attention. And I will say for cadence, I kind of like sending one of those emails where you're asking somebody for something on like a Wednesday, Thursday, or a Friday. Because if you send it on a Monday, everybody's just trying to wrap their head around their to-do list. And yeah. It's pretty likely that you will get bumped right off of their radar. Timing. If you send that first initial message on a Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, it's likely that they have triaged their inbox enough that they can see this new request coming in and be interested in helping you. And then that makes it so that the next week you can follow up on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday to say, hey, just in case you missed this, you know, if this is at all an opportunity or if it's at all possible for you to help by answering this question, it would be so valuable for me. Yeah. Fantastic. Then you put a weekend in between, so it's arriving two different weeks, but you're not putting so much time in between that they forget who you are. So definitely plan on following up. And even following up a third time is not going to make you a pest. So be not afraid to be persistent, especially if you're looking at competitive organizations, competitive positions. You know, if it's a brand name company that's really exciting, they probably get 
thousands of applications for any open position. So it will really behoove you to have somebody walk your resume in internally rather than putting yourself at the mercy <laughs> of having HR pluck you out of one of those thousand applications that they are reviewing to notice the potential in you. Yeah. There was one person for our company that got the job, and I know this for a fact. the The only reason he got the job is that he reached out and followed up with me several times after I hadn't responded. So, and I did not consider him at all to be a pest. In fact, I was like, "This is someone who really cares about this position that he would be applying for." So, um, I always think about that as an example and just a justification for me to be like, "Hey, listen, you should send, you should send that follow up email because maybe they just missed you." Lisa, you've been a fantastic guest, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. What words of wisdom would you have for someone who is struggling um, in their job search? What really final words of advice would you have for someone who may feel like they're not getting the results they want in their job search? The words of advice are get help. Mm. You don't have to do this yourself. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that 70% of jobs come from relationships. They don't come from sending things into online applicant tracking systems of doom. So be not afraid to ask somebody to review an outreach message, to take a look at your resume, to make sure that it's even going to get through an applicant tracking system, (laughs) to talk to people and ask for introductions and for advice. The more willing you are are to be vulnerable and to be courageous, the better results that you're going to be seeing. And particularly in the economic season we are about to find ourselves in, you can't afford to just keep doing things the same way that you've always been doing and hoping and praying and crossing your fingers that it's going to work. Getting support, getting course correcting feedback, getting help, getting advice, getting mentorship are all the kinds of things that can help you to feel like you're getting your mojo back and you're getting back on the horse and that you'll start to see a difference in the results. Fantastic. Words of wisdom from Lisa Lewis, the CEO of Career Clarity. Lisa, how can people get in touch with you and find out more about you? Well, if there's anybody listening to this who has recognized that maybe they are a career changer as well as a job seeker, I'd love to chat with you. You can reach me online at getcareerclarity.com or you can find me on social media at at careerclarity is my handle in most places. Or if you want to send me a direct email because you've got a specific question Mm. or a need, please don't hesitate to do so. My email is Lisa, L-I-S-A, at getcareerclarity.com. I love that. This is a perfect opportunity for all of you who are listening to practice, uh, put to practice what you've learned in today's podcast episode about um, sending a message to make someone feel like, you know, they're the only person in the world that could answer that question to be, to be, um, the best possible career warrior you can be when you're sending out those messages. Highly recommend it. And what's your podcast called? My podcast is called The Career Clarity Show. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Perfect. And for you listeners who are jogging or driving, I always want you to be safe. So what I'll do is I will put the links, uh, those URLs within the description of this podcast episode. Just want to make sure you have all those resources available. Just scroll all the way down and you'll see all these links posted. And um, yeah, please also tag us, uh, tag Lisa, tag myself on LinkedIn. Uh, Feel free to share a screenshot of this episode and let us know what you thought some key takeaways were for you. What were some aha moments? I would love to personally see what in this podcast episode resonated and uh, just always love hearing from my listeners. It's always the most exciting thing is to hear the impact that we're making here. So Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. I thought you were brilliant. Seriously. 
Oh, thanks so much, Chris. I feel like it's so important for those of us who do this work to share what we know and to support as many people as we can. So thank you for the opportunity. Awesome. Well, that wraps up our 129th episode of the Career Warrior Podcast. So glad we got this topic laid out here because this is one of the most common questions that I get when it comes to reaching out to people is what do I actually say in the message? And I think Lisa Lewis did such a great job in giving examples and things to say. This wasn't just generic advice given. This was some of the best advice that I've heard in regards to reaching out to people on LinkedIn. So please go back, review this episode, do whatever you need to do to get your messages brilliant and shining in the inboxes of the people you're trying to reach out to. This concludes episode 129. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you on Thursday. 